0: Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity podcast, where we talk about value, managing your company to value, selling value and everything else related to your company producing value for its customers. Today, I am thrilled to have speaker, author, sales strategist, Lee Saltz, um, author of one of my favorite books on sales differentiation. Lee, welcome.
1: Mark, well, thank you so much for having me on the show.
0: Uh, I'm really excited. You and I are kind of kindred spirits on the topic of differentiation and value and how that is the key leverage in not just on
1: sales, but in all of business. Amen, Mark. I'll tell you what. I was so delighted when, when I came across your work and seeing someone else was banging the drum on sales differentiation strategy. It's so important for, for salespeople and they don't think enough about it. They put the entire burden on marketing. Marketing's job is to differentiate. Well, that's partially true. They have a role, but but salespeople have a role too.
0: Yeah, I, I've been actually, I had part of my career in marketing and I liken marketing to the aerial bombardment campaign where sales is heart-to-heart, mind-to-mind, house-to-house combat, where now you have to take that big, broad marketing message that came before and turn it into the victory for this
1: particular instance, this particular house, this particular deal. Amen. So what I do is I describe marketing a little bit differently. I I say marketing lays out all the potential of what could be, right? All the capabilities a company could bring to bear Sales takes all that potential and narrows it down to what should be for this individual in this circumstance. Exactly, uh,
0: you're you're applying it to the person to their life. We talk about features, benefits, and outcomes. And the old, it's not the customer doesn't want a quarter inch drill; they want a quarter inch hole. The hole is the benefit. Yes, but the salesperson is the one that finds out all about the customer's life and say oh you've got grandkids you could teach your son woodworking you could make a toy for your grandson that legacy that toy for your grandson is not something that marketing can do it's something sales has to do to understand the customer their world their life and would you pay more for a quarter
1: inch hole or a legacy with your grandson yeah and taking a step further i I think feature and benefits It's still missing some component. And I'm sure you see this too. One of the biggest mistakes salespeople make when when it comes to differentiating themselves is they toss out differentiators and they leave it to the person on the other side of the desk to determine what it means and and, and how they feel about it. So they say, we're the biggest or we're publicly traded, we're privately held, and, and expect someone on the other side of the desk to derive meaning from it. And if you do that, one of two really bad things happens. They either never figure it out or they give it a meaning that's not going to help your deal. I I had a sales differentiation strategy program with a fitness equipment manufacturer. And I said, share with me a differentiator that that you talk about. They said, we're USA manufactured. And I said, great. And, and, And tell me, why does that matter? And they said, you know, altruism, you know, you got to support the USA brand. I said, okay, I get that. I said, so tell me about your competitors. Well, most of our competitors are in China. I said, okay, so if I want to have this equipment next week, can I get it? You can from us, but not from them. It comes by ship. It takes about six months to get it. I said, okay, so I appreciate your point about altruism. But isn't the big story here, USA manufactured, where most of your competitors are overseas, that if you want your equipment in the next week or month, you need to buy from a USA brand And oh, by the way, we're one of a couple. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a really good point. So they had just been tossing out USA Manufactured. They didn't really understand why it mattered to, to buyers. And I guarantee you, a buyer didn't sit back and say, you know, USA Manufactured, Hmm, if I want my equipment sooner, I guess I have to buy from them or or one of the other couple of companies here in the States. No one figures that out. You know, so that's why I find features and benefit, it's it's too limiting. It's broader than that. We gotta give differentiators meaning, we gotta give it context so that we position why they should care about it. Lee, um, kindred spirits, I'm loving what you're saying.
0: I draw a two circle Venn diagram. And on one circle is our differentiated capabilities. Mm -hmm. And on the other circle is all of the customer's aspirations, needs, including those that they don't even know yet. The overlap is where our capabilities fit something, a a customer aspiration or an unmet need or a value gap. And the problem is when we're talking about our capabilities, we do it in features and benefits, but the customer doesn't buy our products much less our features and benefits they buy their own outcomes Mm -hmm. for their own reasons and so as you said we're asking the customer to translate from our capabilities into their outcomes earlier in my sales consulting career i would make this mistake once a year Um, and that is i would do fantastic discovery i had intimate knowledge of the customer's business and i had a customized proposal that exactly met every need from every persona. And I had the perfect customized proposal and I would lob it into the customer and they would puke on it because it was way too expensive and too detailed. And what I hadn't done was just slow down and say, look, this person on the team wants this. That's why this element is in the proposal because this delivers that to this person. This element of the proposal is for this reason that I did in discovery. So you have to connect slowly because your customer is not the expert in your stuff. They don't know that connection, they can't make it. And it's a simple, simple thing, but it turns that brilliant discovery and that super customized proposal from being a bloated piece of uh, proposal proposalware to a customized
1: bespoke fit proposal. And I I wanna come back to a point you just made because it's super important. You said that they don't know your business the way you do. And and that's one of the worst pieces of feedback salespeople have been given is that they're selling to educated buyers because there's this new fad called the internet. And, And there's a question that I've asked in every industry you could name, every country you could name B2B, to B2C, to business to government, and every single time I've received the same answer. <clears throat> Who knows more about the world of potential solutions in your industry? You or the people you sell to? And Mark, not once has a salesperson said to me, oh, the people I sell to know much more about the world of potential solutions in my industry. So we're giving them this horrible coaching. You're selling to educated buyers. It's not true. They have access to information, but we still know more about the world of potential solutions in our industry than they do. Lee, you're absolutely right. When buyers
0: self-inform, they typically misinform and underinform. And mm-hmm. the less frequently they buy what you sell that category, right. the worse that problem is you are the expert. And going back to that overlap, remember you're the expert in what you offer, and they aren't. Most methodologies today really try to make you good at understanding that customer's self-informed image. So Mm -hmm. we're trying to get a perfect understanding of our customer's imperfect vision of the future. And the burden is on the salesperson to know both our what we offer, the universe of solutions and the customer's business, because you are the guide. You're the one that helps them build that overlap between those two Venn diagrams. And they can't be expert in your stuff. So it's the sales professional's job to be an expert
1: in their stuff. So I'm gonna share with you a one word job description for a salesperson. And it's going to give salespeople such clarity that you will wake up every morning knowing exactly what you need to do. And Mark, it's based on what you just said. And that one word is matchmaker, right? You've got a prospect on one side and you master that side of it. And you have all the capabilities that your company brings to bear. Your job is to put those two entities together. You're the matchmaker. And you can't do that effectively, just as you talked about, Mark, without mastering both sides of the equation yeah uh, i completely agree
0: so i also have this i have this thing that I, I tell people um stop spending time on all the elements of your proposal or your offer that are the same as all your competitors yes um i, I go to a Seinfeldism. and like you want to yada yada all the <laughs> stuff the way you're the same yes we do that yeah we meet that requirement yes mr customer we're we're the same but let me show you why and how and where we're different. Let's spend our time today talking about that. Because if you bury your differentiation in a whole ocean of sameness, mm-hmm. you're asking your customer to pick your differentiation out of the weeds. Yes. And the human perception system, our brains evolved to process differences. Mm-hmm. If you're buying two cars, you don't check that they both have doors. You don't check that they both have steering wheels. You don't check that they both have engines. You check, I like this steering wheel wrap better than that one. I like the cup holders better on this one. I Mm -hmm. found the navigation system easier for me to work on this one. You look for the differences and make different, make your decisions based on differentiation. The human brain evolved to pay more attention to those two little eyeballs peeking out of the long waving grass, then to the waving grass. Our ancestors who saw the eyeballs more clearly sooner, faster, better are the ones who pass their genes along. Mm-hmm. So our brains are hardwired for differentiation. And if you bury your differentiation in a sea of crap,
1: you're doing yourself and your customer a disservice. Yeah. So you talk about proposals. Um, one of the things that I do is I don't provide proposals. I provide a statement of work. I like that. Tell me more. It's completely absent of marketing language. What I tell my client is, if you want to read about all the wonderful things that I've done and can do, it's all up on my website. It's chock full of it. The statement of work is going to say, this is exactly what I'm going to do for you and what results you can expect from it. Period. I like that. Um, very simple, never more than a couple of pages. Yep. The proposal should be really short, clear and sweet. Exactly. And it's, and it's interesting how refreshing they find it because they're so used to getting these hundred page proposals that 98% of it is identical for everyone they send it out to. They edit just two pages. Well, let's focus on the two pages and leave the marketing stuff on the website. so they can read all about that on your website.
0: Focus your customer on your differentiation. Amen. If that's so important, let's switch the topic to the metrics that your salespeople and your sales manager use. Are Do you have metrics that you use with your clients to measure how well they their salespeople and their marketing is differentiating?
1: Um, it's different for each client, you know, based Good. on the business type. But I'll tell you the first thing. Revenue is not a metric. Revenue is a result. It's a result of the right metrics being delivered upon by your salespeople at the right level of frequency. You can't do anything about revenue, but there's a lot you can do about the activities and behaviors that lead to it.
0: Exactly. I will forgivingly call revenue uh, a metric, but it's a lagging indicator.
1: Exactly. And and so one of the things that I remind executives, this is an old sales expression. I'll, I'll let you fill in the blank. You're only as good as your what sale? As <laughs> your last sale. Your last sale. And I say that's completely backwards. If you've ever tried to sell a company, it's all based on futures. You're only as good as your next sale. So when we talk about metrics, when we talk about compensation, it should drive the future, not just reward for the past.
0: Yeah, I like to make sure that salespeople turn their differentiation into a customer outcome, and then I really like to get salespeople to talk about that outcome and value that outcome. How many dollars is that worth to you? Mm -hmm. So the differentiated carpet that wears longer, they're used to selling and customers are used to buying on dollars per year. If the carpet lasts 20% longer, I'll pay 19% more.
1: Right
0: but for certain carpets that there's an outcome where that carpet is sitting underneath customer service department. Mm -hmm. And it's not dollars per year. It's the business disruption of yanking every bit of, every stick of furniture out of that room, peeling the carpet, replacing the carpet, putting the stuff back, and then listening to two weeks of complaints about you broke my Ohio State University mug. Um, My (laughs) grandkids picture is cracked. My computer yeah. doesn't work. My logon doesn't work, yes. right? So that business disruption is worth about 10 to 12 times the price of the carpet.
1: Yeah. And so I get into work with clients around that, of uh, developing return on investment models, total, total cost of ownership models. Because when we look at the business case, so often what salespeople do is they just say, oh, yeah, there's a great ROI on this. But they never actually give them a document that walks them through the model so they can say you invest this and you get that. Yeah. They don't do that. Um, and and then it fails to hit the mark.
0: I, I completely, I completely agree. And I I go one step, I, I add one little element to that, and that is Here's here's the business disruption. Mr. Customer, I want you to calculate what you think your business disruption is. So yes. rather than my giving you the number of 10 to 12 times, I want you to calculate it to yourself. And they do a conservative number and they find it's only seven times.
1: Yes, and I, and I do it the same way. What and, I do is I, I build the, the tool and then you have placeholder numbers in case they don't know what their number is, yep. but it's designed that they plug in their numbers and then it multiplies out for them. Absolutely. As long as you feed
0: them the thought process they should go through to develop their own number, then they can do it themselves. Yeah. Uh, the human mind is a lazy thing. We find the easiest, cheapest, fastest, even dumbest way to just get on with it. <laughs> yeah. And so if we can get away with not doing it and just doing a, an estimate, we will. Yeah. But if you, for, if you cause a customer to walk through that. Uh, you're supplying them with the ability to sell it internally yes, and to definitely. create internal uh, urgency.
1: Absolutely. And it's interesting when you talk about selling internally and you talked about discovery before, there, there's a an aspect of sales that salespeople I, I find often miss. They've been taught you need to find pain, you need to find challenges, you need to find issues that they're experiencing. And as soon as Someone shares one of those. They write it down. They start salivating a little bit because, all right, we're going to get this deal. And they don't understand the difference between a problem and an inconvenience. They're not synonyms, right? So, and I do uh, this deal strategy work for a client. So twice a week, we get together with their salespeople and they present a deal they're working on and and I help to advance it. And they tell me about a deal and they'll tell me about all the things that are going wrong. And I'll say, OK, so from what you described, do they perceive these as problems or inconveniences? Because an inconvenience, you'll deal with, you'll live with it. A problem, you're willing to invest time, resources, and dollars. And then I take it a step further, and this comes back to your point, Mark, is how did so let's say you're talking with some manager, some executive, but we know in B2B sales, is multiple people who have to turn their keys for the deal to happen. So then asking how their colleagues feel about this issue do they see it as an inconvenience or a problem? And so we have an opportunity in sales. Sometimes they may see it as an inconvenience, but by asking some questions, we can lead them down the path and help them to recognize that it's a problem, meaning they need to take action on it or arm them with questions and information that they can use with their colleagues to help them see what they see.
0: You're a hundred percent right, Lee. and there's two places, there's like two forks that I wanted to go down to you. One, you went down and that is have the right conversations to turn that inconvenience into a problem. Mm-hmm. So dollars per year on your carpet wear is an inconvenience. But if I can start talking about the business disruption that turns it into a problem. Uh, the second thing is when you ask a customer for their pains guess what those are pains that they realize guess who else they're yes. telling that exact set of same uh, pains so at that point if you are the one who just responded to that pain and you're not the one who turned that into business disruption you are I, I do it I call it fist fighting in the phone booth Mm -hmm. because that is a pain that they've told every one of your competitors about that your competitors know exactly how you're going to respond That your competitors know exactly how to respond to you if you just stay keep it at that first level yes and so it is the fact that you're taking that and you're the one seller taking that inconvenience into a problem that's what differentiates how you sell. And that keeps you from fist fighting in the phone booth. That keeps you from having to duke it out on
1: price. Well, I'll take it a step further. So I look at the two sides of the equation. You, you talked about pain points. There's the side of the equation that the prospect feels could be better or different. This is their perceived pain, if you will. But we talked a few minutes ago, Mark, we said we know more about the world of potential solutions in our industry than the people we're selling to. So we can't just rely on what they perceive could be better or different than what they have today. We need to creatively introduce the side that they didn't know could be better or different because that's the whole point of differentiation. They didn't know it exists. And I'll give you an example. So I live in Minnesota and Minnesota has a lot of idiosyncrasies. Insert your punchline here. (laughs) And I'll give you one of them. Today's Wednesday. And Wednesday is a very interesting day in in where, where I live in Minnesota, because on every Wednesday morning, there is a parade of garbage trucks coming down my street, picking up everyone's trash. Notice I said a parade, because in Minnesota, just about every county, every homeowner, every business contracts for their own trash removal. So every hauler you can name is coming down my street because everybody uses someone else. Yeah. And each one of these trucks seemingly does the same thing. Pulls up to the home, arm comes out, grabs the can, lifts it up, dumps the contents into the truck. Truck drives away, you get an invoice at the end of the month. Well, the CEO of one of these companies reached out to me. He said, Lee, I believe we are providing something different. Now, I was intrigued because I see this every every Wednesday and it looks the same to me. And then he went on, he says, Not only do I believe we're different, I believe my salespeople are completely ineffective at positioning that differentiation. So I was intrigued. They went through a sales differentiation program with me, and that CEO was a hundred percent right. And one of the differentiators that we identified was that they have this truck called a can be clean truck. They're the only ones in the state of Minnesota with this truck. And twice a year, this truck follows the garbage truck and cleans your garbage cans. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. They're the only ones that do it. But their salespeople never got to have that conversation because- Like me, most people perceive these are all the same companies, so they all do the same thing. And and the only conversation I'm willing to have is if you could save me a nickel, I'll switch to you. So we developed what I call a positioning question. It's an open-ended question that maps back to your differentiator and helps buyers think differently about the solution they have or could have. The first question out of their mouth after they introduce themselves is, when's the last time you had your garbage cans cleaned because we know they never have unless they did it themselves. And Mark, if you've ever had the privilege of cleaning your garbage cans, you know how miserable that is. Um, Right. And right in that moment, we help them think differently about something as simple as a trash solution, not because of something we said, but rather a question we, yes. Well, why isn't someone cleaning my garbage cans? And if we only relied on pain or challenge questions, the side that they perceive could be better or different, no one would ever say, boy, I'd love it if someone cleaned my garbage cans, because I don't know what exists. You know, I, um, you're absolutely right. And
0: it happens over and over, right? You, you, you use the example of garbage cans. Let me take that to something you can do on your drive time to work look at two gas stations across the street from each other and look at the price difference. Uh, I once saw, I was uh, in Oakland, California, Mm -hmm. two gas stations across the street from each other, the gas price was 40 cents a gallon different. Wow. If one of those, if, if that high price gas station, if price is the only thing that mattered, only one station on that corner would be in business or they'd have the same price Mm -hmm. and it's not and over and over again, there's something about a gas station and it's gas. I can promise you that the gas comes into your state from the same pipe (laughs) here. Here in Arizona, there's two pipelines that bring gasoline into the state. One has 70% of the gas. One has 30 and it's the same gas from either of those two pipes. They just put it into the, into the unical tank and then they put it into the shell tank and then they they just move the hose and then those companies put their shell branded additives in so it's the exact same doggone gas Uh, one company has a slightly more proven set of additives but everybody else is it's practically the same additives uh, with a different label on the front so the gas is the same but the gas station is different
1: yeah take it a step further so go to target or any of your favorite supermarkets and you'll see a branded product and you'll see a store brand and the branded product is 40 50 60 percent more why would you ever buy that branded product i assure you target doesn't have cows they don't have cows they are contracting with someone to provide them with this milk
0: I, uh, my first summer job out of high school, making money for college. I worked at H.J. Heinz, the world's largest pickle factory. Oh, sure. And uh, I was the I be somehow somebody thought that I was smart enough to be the foreman of one of the filling lines, and so it was the three pound coffee can, the number ten tin filled with kosher dill spears, mm-hmm. and I ran thousands and thousands of cases a night. And one night, the uh, supervisor came in and said, we're changing the labels. We're changing the labels to uh, Howard Johnson's pickles. (laughs) And the only difference was the quality control was like half a percent tighter because the the line cooks at at, uh, Hojo's couldn't be counted on to throw away the ugly pickle. (laughs) But it was the exact same, I mean, we we ran the same vinegar, the same cucumbers through the same machines and just st- slapped a different label on
1: them. Exactly. Now, in he, here there's a brand called Kemp's here in Minnesota. Yep. Okay, so we have Kemp's Milk, which is about 50, 55% higher than the Target brand. And I said, oh boy, what, what justifies that? So I did some research. And I said, boy, are they saying that Their milk tastes better. No, they didn't make that claim. Did they say that if you drink their milk, you'll be smarter? They don't make that claim either. Did they say that there's more protein in it? They don't make that claim either. So I took a step back and I said, how how are they justifying this? Because obviously they are selling that milk. And the answer is this. Kemp's is known for a particular product here in Minnesota, which is ice cream. And one of the main ingredients of ice cream is... milk right here's the strategy you derive so much enjoyment from the ice cream that you're willing to pay more for one of the ingredients in it that's it that's the strategy that's awesome
0: so a great transition into differentiation into price Mm -hmm. uh i am uh when i was the consultant for miller hyman i was the resident expert in value-based pricing Mm. um and so I'm a I am the pricing hawk. Excellent. And so I'm um, so combining that with metrics, I have I've had this conversation with many companies. And I've asked them, Do you track your discount spend so that you can know which reps, which sales managers, which regions, which products suffer the greatest discounting? And the, uh, and do you know when, when the discounting is more towards the end of the month, quarter or year? And the answer is almost invariably, no, we don't even track that. You tell, share your experience or do you have the same experience or is it just my clients?
1: Yeah, no, no, it's not your, <laughs> you, you don't have an anomaly. It's, it's very much the same on my side. I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story. So, um, this technology company was sold to icon office solutions and many moons ago i was hired to help that business owner who had sold his company to hit his earnout numbers so i was the the head of sales and marketing and my compensation was on profit and he gave me the keys to pricing and he said here's the deal i'm giving you the keys to pricing and i'm going to compensate you on our profit rather than revenue because if I'm getting screwed, so are you. <laughs> and of course, that made me hypersensitive, and I did track all of that. I um,
0: Miller Hyman uh, owned owns still uh, CSO Insights, the big research shop. Sure. Uh, before they bought them, Jim Dickey, uh, one of the two principals, uh, I talked to Jim Dickey sh- a couple years after he sold out to Miller Hyman. And he said that for 12 years before he sold, he was tracking one of the questions he tracked every year was what percentage of companies had any component of their comp plan based on profitability. And he said it was about 25%. So 75% of sales forces don't even care how profitable their deals
1: are. I would have bet a single digit percentage, not 25.
0: Uh, I think it's probably higher in some, like the steel industry, uh, because it's a um, it's a commodity. They they pay very close attention to it. Somebody else mm-hmm. told me that in some industries it's almost a hundred percent. So I believe you're right. It's probably single digit in all the rest in yeah. order to get the global average to twenty five. Right, right. Um, and I've actually had salespeople say out loud. It's the company's job to make money at the price I sold. I've also had, all right. I've also had sales leaders say, you know, I just don't think it's fair. Sales isn't have a seat at the big boys table in my company. Do you think those two might be connected? If sales is the only department in the entire company that doesn't care about the company's profitability, do you want the sales leader sitting at the table? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so think about it if you're a sales leader and you lead the department and you have your own career aspirations to get out of sales and into general management, what is one thing you could do to grow your own career?
1: Absolutely. And and that's the thing. So compensation ties into focus. So if I compensate my sales leaders, not just on revenue, but also on profit, guess what? I'm gonna get their attention, I'm gonna get their sensitivity on, on that issue. And if you're giving salespeople any latitude in pricing, again, tie a piece of that to protecting margin, you'll get their attention on it too.
0: But Lee, we can't measure profitability. Our products, some of them have have transfer costs that everybody knows are funny money. So we can't track profit accurately. How could I possibly do that?
1: (laughs) Well, there's this person in your company titled CFO that I assure you can help you with that issue. <laughs> Cause I guarantee you the CFO knows how to determine that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> um, I, I
0: would even say let's, let's develop an approximate measure. If you can't measure pr- profit precisely measure it approximately in a way that your salespeople can figure out really fast and then compensate them on that. Because yes. getting them close getting them very cl- very focused on an approximate measure is going to be way better than what you're doing now.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, Lee, uh, we've gone, uh, we've had a great conversation and I bet you we'll, we could keep going on and on. Uh, but I want to have people understand where they can go to talk to you more. Uh, tell them how to get Sales Differentiation because it's a fantastic book. Okay. Um, and how, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Uh, So first, uh, Sales Differentiation is available on Amazon or whatever your favorite book website is, and it's available in hardcover, Kindle, and audiobook. And Mark, there's a new one coming out in September. You can see that on Amazon as well. It's the second in the series of Sales Differentiation. It's titled Sell Different, and it's 15 more sales differentiation strategies that are not addressed in sales differentiation. Uh, and you can reach me, my website is salesarchitects, and that's plural, salesarchitects, dot com. Lee, uh, I'm looking forward to the new book. I, I'm going to be one of your
0: first customers, so make sure that oh, you get you. me in line for that. Uh, thanks again for your time. And thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the Value Clarity Podcast, where we stand on the principle that value only exists in your customer's brain, which means that your success is all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a high value day. Well it ain't easy, cause values in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old don't know value blue.